Mele Kaliki Maka. You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 117. This episode is sponsored by Sapporo Beer, Japan's oldest and number one selling beer brand in the United States. Founded in 1876 in Sapporo, Japan, Saibei Nakagawa, the first German trained Japanese Braumeister, combined his advanced brewing knowledge with his passion for craftsmanship to create a one of a kind beer. Celebrate this season with Sapporo Beer. For more information or to find a retailer nearest you, go to SapporoBeer.com or follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at SapporoBeerUSA. On this episode, we recorded live from Tiki Wonderland 13 at the Tonga Hut. For this holiday season, we are back at the Tonga Hut's Tiki Wonderland holiday event. And on this episode, we chat with an all star lineup about spirits and beer. First up, we are joined by Sven Kirsten, author of the Book of Tiki, Tiki Modern, Tiki Pop, and the Art of Tiki. Jeff Beach Bumberry, owner and founder of Latitude 29, and author of The Grog Log, Intoxica, Sip and Safari, Potions of the Caribbean, and more. Greg Bansuelo, career bartender and historic first employee of the world famous Tiki Tea. And Kevin Murphy, owner and partner of the Tonga Hut in both North Hollywood and Palm Springs. We chat about craft cocktails and the modern day tiki movement. The process of finding a lost drink recipe and other fun stories from the front lines of the tiki bar, old and new. Following this, we chat with Philip Marte, director of national accounts for Sapporo Beer, our newest sponsor, to learn about the history of beer in Japan, the process of brewing a world class beer, his thoughts on today's craft beer movement, and its influence on the modern beer drinker. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. And if you did, hit that subscribe button. Subscribing makes it easier for you to follow our adventures. Shares on your social media pages are always appreciated. And if you'd like to help support the show, go to desertoasisroom.com to pick up some merch or make a donation. Every purchase or donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated and helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. Okay, let's get into this. Here we go, live from Tiki Wonderland at the Tonga Hut. With this damn music here. Is this a bar or something? <laughs> Are they trying to throw a party or something? Well, I, I, just to start off with, I must say those Tonga Hut drinks are damn good. What are you drinking? I, I got a Navy Grog. Okay. I got the Mai Tai. Both are spot on. I got the Mai Tai. It's delicious. It is delicious. You know, the thing is, I, I'm used to having bad Mai Tais. Is that,、right. bad? Is that a bad thing? No, it's, it's common. And, and that's like really the, the, the litmus test for. A tiki bar basically is, you know, order a Mai Tai that, because that for every, everybody thinks it's so easy and it's, it's if you, you know, it's not. It, it has to be spot on. I've always said that when I go to a bar and I'm unfamiliar with what kind of cocktails they're making, I will order a Mai Tai just to see if they're using at least the original recipe, right? And if they're, if they're not even using the original recipe, it makes me question everything else on the menu. 
Because the Mai Tai is probably the most pu published recipe in the world at this point. That's what I would think. Maybe I'm wrong yeah. about that? Yeah, maybe you're, I don't know. Margarita, it's not, too? It's not hard to find out what's in it. You just go on the Total Tiki app or you buy a Beach Bum Berry book and there it's just right there. <laughs> yeah. Know? So there's no excuse anymore, man. So for our listeners out there, we are back at the Tonga Hut. And if you couldn't figure that out, that's from Jeff Beach Bumberry. And we're also here with Sven Kirsten. Aloha. Aloha, Hi there. folks. Aloha. Are you guys ready for the holiday season? I think so. I don't know. It's For me, it's always holiday season. <laughs> my wife asked me the other day to send her my Christmas list. Yes. And I thought, my, my first thought was, you can't afford my Christmas list. <laughs> because of all the... <laughs> Neat new mugs that are out there. I thought it was, was going to be another Porsche. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wish. No, she's not spending that much money on me. But it's it's certainly a different time than before where, you know, you could find mugs for... I remember scoffing at a $5 mug because I'd find them for 79 cents, you know. $5 just seemed obscene back in the day. It did, right? You know, it was like 35 right. cents. You walk out of Goodwill or Salvation Army with a basket full of them and you spend oh, yeah. three bucks. You know, like, now we're looking at mugs that are upwards of $100 or more. And... Um, I get it. I mean, they're, they're artist pieces that take a lot of creativity and craftsmanship and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm getting at is that if she saw what each of these things cost, she'd probably have a heart attack. Because <laughs> she doesn't know what I'm spending on this stuff. <laughs> well, way to broadcast Wait a minute. it. Wait yeah, a minute. Yeah. Well, she doesn't listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> so this is a nice surprise seeing Jeff here. Yeah, that was great. I, you yeah. know, I, I just got back from Germany yesterday. So I'm just happy being back here in my Tiki family. And then to top it off, Jeff showing up, that is really... Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this earlier, Sven, about how different it is, the cultural adjustment that you must have to make when you fly back and forth. Well, especially from Germany in December, uh, from this, you know Leipzig, which just got pronounced to have the... The most beautiful uh, Christmas market in Germany. So that the whole downtown there is like one huge Christmas market, and yeah. it's just like you know somehow a Christmas market is like as German as you can get. It's like all these yeah. arts and crafts, and uh, you know, and um, then to come here, you know, and food, food and drink, of course, all these you know local, uh, you know, pretzels and whatever. And then to come here, and the next day you're here and you're drinking, you know, Navy Grocks and eating tacos is really a culture <laughs> shock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are the holiday traditions in Germany the same as they are here in the States? Yeah, basically, yeah, you know, yeah. it's all, yeah. You know, their Weihnachtsmann is Santa Claus, and they they have a, Nicholas is Saint Nick, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, um, there's, you know, there's some local variations and specialties, but... It's you know, it's the the Christmas tree with the with a manger, like at this Christmas Christmas market in Leipzig. My favorite thing was the life sized manger with live sheep in it. Wow, <laughs> live sheep! You know, lying that's a, there. That's a commitment. <laughs> How did they keep the sheep from running off? Oh, there was you know there was a nice little garden fence around it. Oh, okay, cute. okay. Yeah. So you know this this year. For me, what I've been really enjoying is last week I was in Phoenix and I I happened to 
stumble across, well, I, it was a stumble for me, but the people that I was with, it was part of our itinerary. We went to a miracle bar, right, themed bar. And there was a little bit of confusion about the Sippin' Santa and the miracle thing because we were trying to see if it was connected and the only place we saw any kind of reference to both of them being together was on the Miracle website. And I'm a little bit jealous. Actually, I'm a lot jealous that we don't have a Sippin' Santa bar in Southern California. Well, we reached out, um, but uh, there were no takers. Oh, really? Yeah, not this year. Um, there were, well, first of all, it had to be a bar that we approved of of course capable of executing the recipes that you know reached the standards that we wanted um and there were plenty there god knows there's plenty of those in southern california but oh uh, yeah 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 but the bars that um were the first responders that really wanted to do it were bars in markets that were maybe a little slower during the holiday season okay and Participating in Sip and Santa was a way for them to boost their numbers. Okay. okay. But when you, you know, some of the Makes bars sense. out here, they don't have that problem. They're just busy all the time. So for them, it was like not worth it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that might change next year because it's, it's very popular. People are really digging it. Yeah, you know, it's so. it's an awesome concept. All the cocktails I had at the Sip and Santa, or not, I'm sorry, I correct myself, at the Miracle Bar that I was at were excellent. And I couldn't leave without getting the mug set. And so here's what's kind of killing me right now is because now I have to get the Sip and Santa stuff talking about mugs. Yeah. And I can't get them out here. No, you got to go to a participating bar. I know. That's what's killing me. <laughs> and and I don't know why I didn't think about this, right? Mikey, uh, Mike Buen Jr. from the TQT was at Latitude 29 last weekend. No way. Really? Well, actually the weekend uh, that this weekend. So he was there uh, two days ago. Oh, well, I wasn't. Okay, I was in Texas, so I missed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was there. So he could have gotten I should have had him get one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about it back then, but I should have had him get one. So is that mug bottled after you, Jeff? Uh, is the, it just a Santa mug? It's that just a Santa mug. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, the the, um, the Bora Bora bum mug, the red one, that is modeled after me. Tiggy, Tiggy I know Diablo that. I know that. I know that mug. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's and just I, a Christmas and, you know, we love, we love that red. mug. Okay. Yeah. It's just that, yeah. that special Christmas glaze with the red. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So what's what's life like in New Orleans right now? Well, um, I wouldn't know because I'm in the valley. <laughs> but is it, I, it doesn't get as cold as it was when I was there. You remember not that, yet. They had that cold spell? Yeah, you just happened to come in the one week of the year when it was like freezing <laughs> oh, cold. Man. Your, your believe, luck was incredible. I can't believe it's been a year since I've been there. It was yeah. actually a year ago this weekend when I was there. And it was raining the whole weekend. It was, it was, it was pouring rain. Yeah, it'll, it'll happen. It's, it's kind of weird. We had like two days of fall, and then we went right back into summer. Like last, when I left, it was like 80 degrees and really humid and swampy. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's weird, man. Yeah. But uh, good tiki drink weather, you know, so. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. And I know that you're out here for this Mai Tai Challenge tomorrow. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I confess to not having been at Pacific Seas since Bamboo Ben walked me through when he first built it. Oh, cool. So I haven't actually been back during business hours. Well, when I was here last year, Sven did due diligence. He took Swanky and me down there to check it out, but they were doing construction, so they wouldn't let us in. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to this because I haven't seen it since it was just like a luncheonette, um, you know, the right, pre-tiki right. luncheonette place. So. You, know, you know they're not serving food there anymore, right? 
I did not know that. Yeah, they stopped serving food. Now no. it's, it's. You mean at, at Clifton's in general? Or at the cafeteria, they're not serving food yeah, anymore. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was very worried about that, but apparently the downtown LA nightclub scene is so has so evolved that they're making more money now and just opening it as a nightclub, and the kids are lining up there yeah, around yeah. the block. Yeah. Because it's such a great environment, but I'm still, you know, I'm still worried about, uh, you know, how are they going to be able to maintain a space that size? Exactly. You know, I was I was worried about the original Clifton's when it closed. Then I was uh, elated that they did such, you know, that they kept the interior so original, and added this amazing, you know, spaces to it, you know. Even when, and the Pacific Seas on top, which is just like a, a, an incredible theme space on top of another incredible theme space. Right. And you know now I'm worried about that maintaining itself because it's so elaborate. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I'm like, please, please, you know, figure something out to yeah. to make it profitable. I mean, it, it, I think it's profitable right now, but they, I think what they're talking about right now. Which is not as original, you know, as the cafeteria was. But I just think it's a, it's unfortunately it's a dated concept. You said talking about an international food court in in oh. the Pacific Seas. Yeah, no, not in Pacific Seas in Clifton's. In Clifton's, you know, Pacific Seas will make is upstairs. It's upstairs. Okay. Yeah. It's right, a tiki right. bar. But the Clifton's itself is several levels now, and I think to have you know just go with with the example of. Um, You know the uh, um, central. What is it called? Central Market, right? Is it called the mm -hmm. Central Market? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with these different stands from different countries, and, yeah, and yeah. people can just go and eat what they feel like. Especially like the downtown business crowd, they can go there every day and eat a different type, you know, of meal. So uh, it'd be similar to the Grand Central Market. I I would assume so. Okay. And I think that kind of makes sense for a space that size. Yeah. I mean, you'll see it. You, you'll be. I remember how huge it was when it was just the cafeteria. Right. You know, it was like pretty big. Yeah. Hey, Greg. Look. Greg. <laughs> Aloha. You want to sit down right, on this? Hey, All good right. to see you. No, sit down. No. Yes, no. Come on. Hold that up to your mouth. <laughs> Testing. Okay. Aloha. Greg's on. How's it going, guys? And so All we right, got man. Greg from the Tiki T. Greg Mansuelo. Aloha. Aloha. Merry Christmas. Oh yeah, almost. <laughs> almost, almost. So are you are you open now? Is uh, it? We'll be open this Wednesday. Yeah. Well, right. Yes. That's what I thought. Good. Yeah. Been a long month. What have you done during this break? Oh, I went to San Francisco uh, for after Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Went to Smuggler's Cove. Saw Martin up there and Rebecca, yeah, a bunch of other people, yeah, and uh, then I went to the pier. Is this like a, you know, like when you're going back to school after summer break? Is that what it feels like now this yeah, week? Like yeah, you don't want to go yeah, back. You don't want to go back. <laughs> 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 I mean, it'd be okay if I was on the other side of the bar, but no, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I need the money. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it because I miss the tiki tea. Yeah, a lot of you. And Tell a lot me of again when you guys do the the hot buttered rum. Is we'll that s we'll start doing it when we open? Oh, it is okay. Yeah. It's not between Christmas and New Year's. It's because I know well, it's just that one week, right? It's kind of weird because this week we're going to be open for two weeks before yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, last week we were only open for one week. Okay. So. Uh, last year, you mean? Last year, yeah, yeah. Last right. year. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Time doesn't mean anything right now. I've been off work so long. But uh, I hear uh, Mikey Jr. was over at your place. Yeah, I missed I, him. I just yeah. told Jeff. He didn't even know. Really? Yeah. I was, I was out of town. So. Yeah. Uh, George Romero and Liz and all those guys. Yeah, were they there. were all there. A lot of people yeah. were there. Yeah. And I go, I go. Well, he's probably gonna, not probably going to see you there. But no, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I wish I could get out to Jeff's bar more often. Yeah. I go. wish you could too. I know. God, I just. I love and I love that you've got Filipino food on the menu. That's of course. Like such a like a, you didn't know that. No, Greg, I didn't like know. look at Greg. Ah. Greg is like whoa. <laughs> what kind of like adobo or we got adobo. We got a pork adobo. We got um, a Shanghai lumpia, and um, there's another dish too. Uh, Bakwan jagung. It's well, that's more of Indonesian. Yeah, that's more okay. of an Indonesian dish. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't but, know uh, that one. Yeah, but we had a Filipino chef for a while who revamped the menu for us. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah then, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, because Tim and I looked at the menu, and, and then we looked at each other, and Tim said, "Check this out." Yeah, and I, I, my thought initially was like, only Jeff would show that respect, right? Because yeah. Jeff, like, he's he's the guy who wrote about like giving the due to the original four Filipinos. You know, last week, repeal day, right? It fell on a Wednesday, and I did a repeal day episode from the Desert Oasis room. And we talked about prohibition and what started prohibition and what repeal day was all about. And we also talked about Don the Beachcomber starting because if I'm correct, it started it started on December 5th, 1933. That's what I've been hearing is like the day after repeal, he opened it. Yeah, that's yeah. What, that's I've, sometimes I mean I've heard 1934 and then I've heard like the day after prohibition. So it's a little fuzzy, but uh, I'm I'm willing to accept that. I think a lot of bars. Ramped up. They knew it was happening. They they got okay. ready. You know. So. so so we talked about that because I I was always under the conception it was 1934. But then somebody, Tim Glasner, actually he he was able to pull up an article that showed 1933. Right. And the rumor was that it was December 5th, 1933. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's here. Anybody, anybody. Let's <laughs> sit on my lap, Murphy. Yeah, okay. okay you gotta jump in here, Murphy. Okay, so, so we just what got. What do you want for Christmas? We got Kevin Murphy here. <laughs> Say hello, Kevin. Well, Santa, I've been a very bad boy. Okay. <laughs> so we got Murph here from uh, from the Tonga Hut. Thanks for hosting us, Murph. Murph. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for coming out. Murph yeah. has been a very supportive sponsor of the Inside of the, the Desert Oasis. So we say thank you. All so right. thank you so much. We were talking about Repeal Day. And we did this whole repeal day episode about you know with Don the Beachcomber opening that day and and having it actually it fell on because it fell on a Wednesday at nine I rang the bell five times we did a toast to Ray and we and and here's the thing that I found people were actually toasting or cheering repeal day at nine o'clock at nine o'clock because nine o'clock is the twenty first hour and the twenty first amendment was what uh, repeal day was about okay cool. So. Now it was just—it was hard alcohol, right? Was beer already? Beer was also part time? of prohibition, but I think I believe that six months prior it was already. Yeah, yeah. Now you got to get back in Greg's lap because I got to get a photo of you guys. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, hey. He's really heavy. Yeah, twist my arm. I'll, I'll, right. I'll, I'll do a sound effect in the meantime. <laughs> oh no, I'm really taking a picture too. Oh, geez. Yeah. All right, Claudia. This oh, is hey, Marie, can you get a photo of all of us, please? <laughs> Thank you. So wait, wait, don't go anywhere. Right, don't go anywhere. That's all right. He's not gonna be able to feel his leg in the morning. <laughs> What's that thing about a wooden leg with a drinker? Thank you. 
I was trying to get Maria I'm gonna go on the I'm going to go grab a chair and come back. How about that? I don't have a voice right now. Otherwise, I'd be on here. Oh, there you go. I was trying to get Maria on the podcast, but but she's she's a little under the weather. It was Aww. Matt Reese. And he Matt just Reese just walked by. So we're, we're having a great day here at the Tonga Hut. So I should yeah, be sitting over there selling my book, but hey. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> well, i got to go get a drink. Okay. Yes. Back. Take a, oh, so we've got Kevin here. here. we got Okay, Greg is taking off for a drink right now. So you can take that microphone. If you need to step away. No, no, no. That's okay. There's nobody over there. Okay. All right. (laughs) We were just commenting on your Mai Tai, Murph. It's a a classic Mai Tai. It's it's really good. We do it here and Palm Springs. Yeah. 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 So, you know, know, we were talking about it being the litmus test, right? That's kind of my test when I go to bars. So it is the Mai Tai for you. Yep. Mai Tai for me, and second is a Navy Grog. Yeah, yeah. Which is the two drinks we have here. Yeah, and if I can get those two and so I'm, I'm happy with those, I'm like, hey, yeah. cheers. Yeah, we're we're go. good to go. Yeah. Give, give me, now give me one of your drinks. Exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite tiki or tropical cocktail? Navy Grog. It is a Navy yep. Grog. So you like the tart. Uh, this yeah. one. Yep, I like the tart. And I like, the, I like it when you got the swizzle in it. Because I like to sweeten it up as it goes, yeah. and then with that sweetness at the end, I just—it's an interactive drink. You so know I that, guess that's that, why I like it. That swizzle is like, is like the the Tootsie Roll commercial. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? That's what it is for me, right? One, two. <laughs> 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 we, we had a fun one at the bar. We ran out of the swizzles. So in Palm Springs, we have a candy store down the road. Oh, really? So I sent everybody out running, and they came back with swizzles, but they came back with watermelon oh, nice. rock candy. <laughs> and I kind of looked at everybody. I was like, I don't think that's going to work. That's going to work. We'll test one, but I'm not sure that's going to work. I said, like, go back and get the white ones. That's the ones you want. I, I, I suspect that no one will complain about it, though. But, no. but yeah, you, you're right. You, you, you have you, to be. You, you whip those out late. At you night. have to be authentic. Yeah. Just to yeah. just to clarify for the audience, the swizzles you're talking about are the rock candy sticks. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. 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 the okay. big rock candy swizzles. Thank you, the, old, the old school rock candy. So yeah. how yeah. how come the, those were always being made? Those didn't fall out of fashion, right? No, they're they, always being made. Yeah, they're kind of amazing that they kept making them because it's just a it's a. You know, rock for what sugar. purpose? Just like for kids to to suck on them? Or? Yeah, they they didn't invent it for the drink. Trader Vic just. Sort of like uh, adopted it. For the oh, drink. Okay. I see. Yeah, you could always get them. It was just a candy store staple. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so after I've asked Kevin what his favorite cocktail is or tiki cocktail is, now I'm curious about everybody at the table. What is yours, Sven? It changes. Okay. You know, I, I have, like, right now, actually, what I'm like drinking at home, my favorite is a, is a dark and stormy. For some yeah. reason, I've like you know fallen. I think it started when I was actually shooting in Germany, and I, I wanted a quick drink when I got Is home there a to specific? kick back. You know? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How do you make your Dark and Stormy? Yeah. What do you use for yeah, your Dark What do you use it for the ginger? I mean, I well, know there's a copyrighted Dark and Stormy, but what? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I use, I don't. <laughs> Can we say any, that on air? Can we make one that's like, not a. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> We're doing a, uh, a, a, a black and, and uh, cloudy <laughs> yeah, I've heard uh, darker and stormier and <laughs> yes. darkest and stormiest. And 
There you go. So, what, and Sven, what do you, what do you do? Well, I use, you know, I use that that Trader Joe's ginger beer that they have, the green bottles. You know okay. that one? Oh, I haven't tried that one. That's that's mm. just really good. It has this really strong flavor because I love. So, Sven, you are breaking the law then. It's supposed to be Gosling's ginger beer and oh, Gosling's. The, the rogue that he is. Come on. <laughs> okay, you're gonna so have now, to. So eat. now I got. So since we're busting his balls, how do you, how do you like your painkiller? No, but he didn't finish. What rum? What rum? Pusser's is a sponsor. He's we got a lot away from that He's one. He's speechless. So, so I, what, I, what rum do you use? I like a strong flavored rum, and it always depends on what bottle is is empty next in my home bar. It's like you know, I don't have like a steady supply of just like one type right, of rum. Right. I, I try different rums for sipping, and if it's you know when it's when it's dark and flavorful, that's good for dark and stormy for me. Okay. It's just I need that. Combination of that old taste that that somehow ginger beer has together with a good flavorful rum. That that's all I'm. How do you feel for. about that, Jeff? I've, oh, that's that's cool. I've never been a ginger beer fan, so that was never my drink. Okay. Like, um, so this is a variation on the dark and stormy. If you're not using the Goslings, so that's what I was alluding to, right? Well, well, how do I feel about Sven breaking the law? Right. Yeah. Well, we all know Sven's an outlaw. <laughs> we all we all know that's why that's why he's became a beachcomber, man. Couldn't, couldn't get a license to do anything legal because you know. And when I led with the painkiller question, because we're supposed to use pussers in a painkiller, but it's actually pretty good with Kraken. And and we call, I call that a Kraken killer. All right. Yeah, you'd have to change a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. call it a painkiller. Because I think if you, you've had my Dark and Stormy. Yeah. And I do a little different take on it. Oh, what do you do with yours? Because I do, we do, I use cock and bull ginger beer. Yeah, I, I like think cock it's just, I think it has a more rich flavor. Yeah, it's, it's, not, a good, it's, it's not a good hot, brand. It's not like hot like the Jamaican. Yeah, it's a good brand. It's got, no, it, doesn't it's, have yeah. to, it doesn't have to be spicy. It has to have this yeah, flavor. It's got, it's, got, it's got more depth to it. Yeah. It's got more, you know. And then I use uh, the Blackstrap. The Cruzan yes, Blackstrap. Yeah, yeah. And when I do that, everyone just comments on that one. That's a good one. And that makes a really good because it's very rich. Done. The flavor. Yeah, when you very do that pronounced. drink, and people that aren't familiar with the drink will drink it, they can't believe there's three ingredients. Yeah, yeah. They'll look for something else in there because it makes a pretty complex drink with just three yeah. ingredients. Yeah, exactly. That's why nice. I'm. You know, it's for me. It's like a quick. Relaxed drink, you know. Okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those simple drinks, especially when my family comes over. I'll make it, real simple, and they all look at me like I'm this phenomenal bartender. My thought yeah, is I'm always like, that yeah. the, the craft <laughs> is in making a drink that has a good drink that has less ingredients because it's easy to make a drink that's got 15 or 16 ingredients. No, it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Well, you get, you get to 15. And I, you know, Adrian, I, I, Adrian I love you, but it's not easy. I, I, I'm, well, well, my thought is that. I'm actually from the, I'm actually from the area that Jeff's right, so, bar is. So Jeff's and calling just, me out. That's just swamp water when you get up so to Jeff's that So Jeff's calling many. me out. But, but what I'm getting at is that it just seems to me that there's more craft in, like, this drink is only three ingredients, and it's, Balanced and delicious. Well, I would think you'd have to be a little more aware when you're only working with minimal ingredients. Adrian does speak truth on um, on one level, which is that the sometimes balancing strong, sweet, and sour, just three things, can be an incredibly difficult. Because thing what to do. I'm getting at is that all of our classics are down to like three ingredients, right? If you go back to Prohibition era or, or earlier, it's all lime sugar and rum. Well, the dac—I mean, for me, the daiquiri 
I'm still not sure I've mastered the daiquiri. I spent six months working on that fucking thing before we opened Latitude because I knew that we, all the non-tiki cocktail people were going to judge us on our daiquiri. The tiki people were going to judge us on our Mai Tai. Yeah. So we had to have a really good Mai Tai, and we had to have a really good daiquiri. And I spent forever working on the daiquiri. It turned out to be one of the hardest drinks I've ever wow. gotten right. And it's that's just sugar, lime, and one rum. Well, that's you know? at the like, bar um, when it comes into... when. But white- Jeff, but Jeff, it's the... The, it's your finger juice getting into <laughs> finger juice. <laughs> you know about that? that? That doesn't sound yep. good. <laughs> what, what, what I don't know about that finger, again, the finger famous juice. Trader Vic story. Okay. That Care, was the famous Trader Vic story about the daiquiri. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, tried to, he tried to figure out what Constantine Ribolagua Vert at the right. Bar La Florida was exactly. doing to make the drinks taste so good. And it turned out he was squeezing the limes by hand so that the peel oil got in the drink right. and gave it a nice little bitter uh, okay. edge. Oh, yeah, I thought okay. it was like his sweat of his fingers. It wasn't yeah. the dirty fingernails. It was well, that, 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 tell you. that would give a nice it salty... Was, it was uh, the unwashed limes. Yeah. So, Greg, what, what does the, um, the Tiki Tea use for, for the Dark and Stormy? Dark and Stormy is Gauzies and Cockabull. Okay. And three squeezes of lime. Yes, yeah, I like that. So you'll get a reduced sentence. They'll cut half the years off because you at least use <laughs> goslings, right? Right. Yeah. Goslings are good. I like goslings. Okay, so while You're we got the mic on up. you, Greg, what's your what's your favorite tiki cocktail? Well, at the tiki tea, I like the scorpion. The mix is a little different uh, than most of the regular scorpions. Yeah. So I like that flavor. It's okay. got more of a nutty flavor. Uh, at the Smuggler's Cove, I like their version of the Puga Munch. It's really good. Okay. Uh, and their uh, Jet Pilot. If you had to pick... Overall, like, what's the one overall? Overall, I think the Scorpion, Tiki Tea. Uh, I like their, I like their Mai Tais here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like, this is yeah, this is a great Mai Tai. Okay. <laughs> this is a good twenty. Mai tai. You said twenty. <laughs> and Jeff, what about you? Um, I've always been a Navy Grog guy. Navy you know, Grog. I was like a Trader right. Vic's Navy Grog was like the first great tropical drink I ever had, followed by the Ray's Mistake. Um, and but now. At Latitude, the first thing I usually order is a rum barrel. Okay. Um, that's that's my latest kick. Is your rum barrel, is it a Latitude rum barrel, or are you using a specific classic recipe? or is it? Um, it's off the barrel in Sip and Safari, the Don the Beachcomber barrel. Okay. But uh, played around with it a little bit. You know, just a so little. It is, so it is. It is a yeah. Latitude rum barrel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jeff, I know our favorite tiki drink, what it, what it would be if it could be made is the Tony Ramos fork cutter. That was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't had a fork cutter as good as that one ever yeah, since. Yeah, that's a that he that he, he went retired to Vegas and took that with him. Um but uh, so that's a lost lost drink? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Unless we can dig him up. Um <laughs> Wherever he is out there, he left no forwarding address. It was before the internet, you know, no email well, or anything. This is a question. We actually have done a mug um, on the old Stella Brody design. The old yeah, husband killer right, right, on the Islander is, is our sixth. We have one of those 60th mugs now, and I've been hunting for the husband killer drink. Husband killer. Now, cool. I would, is it old enough to be a, a riff on a painkiller? Is that would that have come after that? No, it's it's before that. Okay. Painkiller wasn't invented until like 70, 69, 70 or something okay. like that. I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on it, but it's in uh, Remix, the exact date. Yeah. But um, the Husband Killer would have been like 60, 61. And the interesting thing is it's not in the Islander menu. The Islander in Beverly Hills where the drink was served Yeah. Um, in that mug. And we know this from that Life magazine article that yes, had the yeah, Islander the on the cover. Yeah, the old lady with the... Yeah. Yeah. 
But that's love, not on that the menu. Photo is oh, just it's a classic so photo. classic. I, I put so it. many weird mugs in her hands I with Photoshop. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not on the menu. At least, it's, at least the you would think that the mug was so distinctive and so cool that they would have had an illustration of it. Yeah. in the menu, but they, it's they not. I, I've, yeah. I found the menu, and it just has the husband killer. But it, it it's there as a as a line item. Oh, it is. So it's listed as an yeah, item, listed, but not with but its it, own But it's not in the drinks where they list some of the ingredients, so you can yeah. kind of get an idea. Yeah. It's just it's off on a line, and it doesn't show the mug with it. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's been kind of interesting trying to find. I mean, I love history and stuff, so I'm kind yeah. of digging around seeing if anybody has anything on it. If you do, let me know. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Musical chairs. Musical chairs. I'll Sit down when the Martin Denny music stops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Now, my father worked at a lot of different top Polynesian restaurants. He worked at uh, Dollar Beach Comer. He worked at uh, the uh, Tahitian and the Luau. But there were two Tahitians, actually, one and two, yeah. out in the valley. Now, um, I mean, I love the Tahitian in um, Studio City. That was my favorite. When I was a kid, I'd go there and, you know, see my dad bartending or whatever he was doing. Yeah. Maynard D. He's like a jack-of-all-trades. That's cool. But I used to have... Uh, I wonder, whatever happened to those people that own the Tahitian or, you know, and I had my uncle that owned, my uncle's uncle by marriage, they own the Outrigger. Oh, really? Yeah. So my aunt, I asked the, my the, aunt. the Outrigger in Long Beach or yeah. Laguna? Uh, no, it was, I think it, there's one over here in, L, in L.A. County. Okay. But um, it was back in the 50s and 60s. But uh, the question I had is that, because I asked my aunt this, I asked, do you have any, more, any of the old uh, uh Menus or any of the old mugs they used to have. Oh, I threw all that away when your uncle died. I go, oh my god. So yeah, do you have yeah. any of that material? Or? Yeah, I have a menu from the Tahitian. I have a cocktail menu, food menu. I have a fold, a really cool folding postcard. It was like a, a, a eight, uh, three and a half by eleven, and then you unfold it, and it's like um, nine by twelve almost or something. And it's got views. It's the Pasadena one. It's got views of the. Banquet room, the dining room, and the bars. Really, right, really cool. right. Yeah. yeah, I think that was the one that my uh, my uncle's uncle owned. Okay, yeah. Okay, because I got an ashtray. I got an ashtray from the Pasadena one oh, too, cool, cool. which I found in like the Goodwill and right right around here, like oh, right in right wow. in Van Nuys, like a back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I go to he'll give me through all that stuff away as well. You know, that's old from like you know back yeah. when we were I was younger. I go, but see, they don't see the connection the way that no. you see the connection. Yeah, I do. That's that's yeah. the thing. Is what? I wonder how much more of that stuff we're gonna find. I mean, you have a generate you have a generation that's like passing on. So for us, it was pretty not not easy, but relatively easy it was to go easy. out and find that stuff. Yeah, it was easy. I love the photos of the Tonga hut, like all the old. Oh, photos. we got the old ones where everybody the, the women have beehive hairdos. Yeah, oh, and wow. then there's a layer of smog because it's the smoke <laughs> right, right. that's in all the photos. But everybody's holding a glass in between their what the the fourth right, and fifth the, finger <laughs> is a cigarette a hanging cigarette, out of yeah. it. I mean, it's just that classic pose. And when I find those, those are really neat. We've got quite a few of those. And then patrons will bring them in. If they start talking to us, they'll go, you know, I might have a photo from, like, when my dad was here That's or my awesome. mom was here. Polaroids. So we're like, you know, go, go find that, you know. We'll give you a drink if you bring in a photo, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I got an old picture uh, that my uh, oldest sister found of my dad's. It was a, uh, a picnic for the Tahitian. Okay. Com- a company picnic, and all the help was there that day. And we were playing Tahitian number two in baseball. But I know there's like a lot of Filipinos in that picture, but the clue there, and I was like maybe five or six years old, but my older brother was there. He worked as a busboy. 
and all these other different pictures of the dress wear. I mean, my mother was wearing one of those, you know, like these dresses you see on the, on the ladies today. I was like, wow, my mom used to wear that dress. Yeah. So it's kind of like generational things that, that I want to, you know, uh, that I enjoy. Okay, but I, I mean, if you ever get a you know a copy or take a picture of those those bandages, if you get time, yeah, I, I, like, to, I like to see those. Uh, sure. Yeah. Plus, we're sharing the same pin, so that's right. <laughs> we're, we're pin brothers now. Go. Yeah. <laughs> who, we got who, this from Arcade. So uh, who who's making that pin? Arcade. Okay. He's uh, really good. This guy over here behind you. Hey, I think he's got a booth here today, doesn't he? Uh, no, he's sharing with uh, uh, yeah. He, Ray he, I, I thought he was here. Yeah, hip arc. It's called hip arcade. Yeah, hip arcade. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. He's really good. He's got some great paintings and stuff like that. Anyway, that's a plug for Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also, so at, 40, 40 years from now, pins are going to be the thing everybody collects from old tiki bars? Well, yeah, it's, it's starting now. to come up. I'm noticing people are coming up with pins. So yeah. I, guess that's I mean, a, I like them. We've got a lot of people approaching us and have done different pins for us. We've done the yeah. Dueling Bastard. Tony's done them for us. We've got different people doing them. And they're fun. I, I think there's something simple and easy you can take from a bar. Yeah. You know, not a not a big T-shirt. You don't have to worry about them breaking in your luggage. Yeah. You know, like a, yeah. And you can put it. You know, you can wear. A, you can wear. You know, as as opposed to your 450 mugs. You know, 450 <laughs> pins. You could actually, you know, be a little heavy on your vest. <laughs> you might you develop. Do you might develop some back problems. Yeah. You gotta, you, um, this would be like the Olympics in 1984. Hands. Like back in yeah. 1984 when the Olympics were here in L.A., my mom was really into the pin trading thing. And she would go down to the Coliseum. There would be people covered in pins, and they would be, it was like a drug deal, you know? Like, oh, I'm going to go to this side. I don't want people to see what I've got because I'm working on this deal with this other guy or whatever, you know? That, that was a way to make money for us in high school. We went online, like, a back of comic books and got one of those pin makers. Oh, yeah, And yeah, then yeah. you'd sit and you'd draw them with markers, and you'd draw these out and cut them out, and then you'd stamp them and make these pins. And yeah. you know, you'd sell them before the football games and all that kind of thing. Yeah. We thought we were rolling in heaven. But of course. When you actually probably looked at the labor we put into them, we were probably negative. But Yeah. yeah right, you, right. you weren't coming something, out ahead. Something to learn. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go uh, watching girls, but I'll see you guys later. Okay, aloha. <laughs> aloha. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, guys. Now, I've got one more question before we, we take a break. I wanted to ask Jeff because you're here for this Mai Tai Challenge tomorrow how do you and i'm assuming that you're judging right you're one of the i'm judging yeah okay so how do you judge a mai tai if i, I know that the people who are competing are probably all going to be using some form of the classic recipe no um, oh no they're not no the the whole thing you know whenever there's like a zombie competition or a mai tai competition or you know, it's all just Take it with a grain of salt. I mean, what it really is is they're just doing a tropical drink, and maybe there's—I mean, sometimes the only clear, the only um, stipulation to make it somewhat mai tai like is that there's an orgeat in it of some kind. So, so do you have yeah. like a requirement of things that have to be in it? Yeah, yeah they do. Okay. I mean, because because that's that's kind of the bane of my existence is when I especially. In our bar in Palm Springs, we get a, we get a lot more people that are coming into Tiki for the first time, and they will sit down, and some people will get vehemently opposed to us that this is not a mai tai. Yeah, I've yeah. had a mai tai. Of course, they've had it on Caribbean cruises, and it's got pineapple, it's got grenadine into it, and they will they will send it back saying this is not yeah, what I expect a mai tai. We were tai really be. worried about that when we opened Latitude. I thought we were going to get a lot of flack 
yeah. because our Mai Tais weren't red or they didn't have no, pineapple we, in them. No, we do. That. That's what we we strive to do the original Mai Tai yeah. like you do. But you know, it never happened. Um, That's people, good. Yeah, it never happened. So, but other, you know, you obviously have that. Yeah, problem. we've Palm had Springs is a tourist town yeah, too. In so. LA, we don't get that kind of thing. More people yeah. come in. I think more in the tiki culture or an understanding of it and uh, I think there's just more awareness when they walk through the door yeah. but in Palm Springs they've they've experienced all the different Mai Tais are out there so everybody kind of has their set thing on what a Mai Tai is Yeah. and you know we, we you know nicely try to lead them back to tell them the yeah. history and this is what you're looking it's at and such, it's a good it, it's yeah. easy to sell it because it's a good drink yeah once they try it I mean what we whenever we do run into that we run into that with the hurricane obviously now you're a hurricane enough, land because I mean, we're yeah, yeah. Yeah. People come in and our hurricane isn't red, yeah. you know, and it doesn't taste like um, ass. <laughs> so, so, so people go, like, well, this, is, this well, isn't a real... Then, then give me a Long Island tea in place yeah, of that. Right? This isn't a real hurricane. And I go, well, try it. You know, just, they're looking at it saying, this isn't yeah. a real hurricane. Try it. If you don't like it, you know, I've done that it. a few times. I've said, yeah. if you don't like it, I'll get you another drink. Yeah, and we haven't had, you know, yeah. nobody really goes that... Goes to no, the we, mat we, on it. Yeah, you know? we found right. they like it. But uh, but the mai tai thing. I mean, or I really thought that was going to be a problem because the mai tai is such an abused drink. It's so abused over the years that people have no conception of what it really is. And um, so does a, does a mai tai competition like promote that, or no, does, it, does it bring in an awareness? I think because that? it's such a different stratum of um, uh, barmanship, like. The people who are competing in this Mai Tai contest, they're all craft cocktail bartenders working on a very rarefied level. They're never going to have to explain to people that their drink, you know, what their is drink it, is. is and, a right. Yeah, I mean, and, the, they, and they've all they all have already done a, a traditional Mai Tai. Yeah, I mean, is. you know, the, oddly yeah. enough, it was um, the hardest contest I ever had to judge was in Peru just a couple weeks ago. Uh, in Lima at the Contiki Fest, there oh, was. Oh yeah, a, I want to hear about that. You know, I yeah. was supposed to be at that. Were you supposed to be? I there? was supposed yeah. to be at that. Man, you got to go next year. It's awesome. Yeah, well, you're okay. going next year. I, I was invited for next year, so we're both going. Yeah, yeah. We're both going. I'm going to see you down there. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I was cool. invited. We, we need to get a group uh, group flight and go, man. Yeah, totally. charter flight. Yeah, there we go. But we, we can't get end our, up. We get, can't, our own, get our own Learjet. Uh, the thing about a charter flight, though, is we can't end up crashing the Andes eating each other. No, no. I'm looking to you guys, and I'm going hungry. I'm sorry. Story too. Yeah. I know that story too. That would make no. a good it's, cocktail it's a in a cannibal here. We're not going to last long. <laughs> That's right. Sven just said it'd be a good cannibal cocktail. Okay, so we br- we bring a side of bacon when we get on the flight. We're good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, going back to the Mai Tai thing, I was at Mama's Fish House in September in Maui, and I ordered a Mai Tai, and the waiter said, "Just so you know, we don't have like." The way that we do our Mai Tai is it's made with fresh lime and orjah. And I, and I said, yeah, that's exactly what, how I want They do the classic Vic Mai Tai. And that's, that's interesting that they're almost apologizing. He was. For the tradition. They have to say it first, but, yeah. you know, I don't have any problem with that because when I give it to somebody, there's a reason that was such a popular drink. It was good. It was good. It's good. Yeah. It's a good drink. It's a good entry-level drink. This is a drink. good Mai Tai. It will set people, especially people that look at them and think they're all fruity drinks. We get a lot of that that will come in. You give them a Mai Tai, and they're like, wait a minute. This isn't anything of what I right. expect. I didn't expect right, all this yeah. sugar. I didn't expect this sweetness. And they come back to that a lot of times, so it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. but the, the Peru contest, um, to go back to that, yeah. that was, uh, you know, Nando Cordoba, the guy who was doing the contest, is trying to instill in Peruvian bartenders this new thing about how to make a proper Mai Tai. So his Mai Tai contest was the exact opposite of the one tomorrow the chairman's reserve one the chairman's reserve one tomorrow is do your own riff on a Mai Tai right you know just use that as your springboard as your foundation and then just go crazy his was make a traditional Mai Tai 
as as close to the traditional mindset as you can get because he's trying to train people in the the actual drink. So that was a really hard contest to judge because everybody yeah, so was trying to now, do the exact same that, drink. So that's you know, what I was like, getting uh, at. That's kind of yeah. interesting. How do you go back in time and create the Mai Tai, that the first Mai Tai that you tasted? Can we do that today? Well, what, what they did was there's only certain rums available in, uh, in Peru. So that was right. the first thing. The, the, you were ju- the, the two things that you could judge this Mai Tai on were Everybody had to make their own orgeat because you can't get orgeat in Peru. There's no brand you can get, so they have to make their own. So people made orgeat out of different nuts and different stuff and all that. And um, and then the second thing was your rum combination. Like that's where you the two places you could be creative was your your type of orgeat right. and then the type of rum combination you did. So those that's really the only thing that we had to go on. Kevin Beery from Three Dots was the other judge, yeah. and the only thing we had to go on was like those two factors. And of course, balance and. So how, how about, now, who is the winner? About, who, wait, who won that? How about color? Does it does? Well, they all yeah. Color. Did they all look the same, or were they all different? No, they there was a lot of there was a lot of difference because um, there were like pistachio orgeats, cashew orgeats, um, you know, some almond orgeats. That, so they had leeway, and then the rum combinations were different too. You know, the kind of rums they used. So now, now Jeff, do you know what orgeat was used in the original Mai Tai? Yeah, French orgeat, Garnier. Garnier, and that Garnier. was that almond based, or was that? Yes, that was almond based. Okay. Yeah, that was um. Uh, a brand out of France. You can see the bottle in the old pictures that Sven unearthed. Um, you know, of the, from, from right uh, the, the history of the Mai Tai in five pictures. Yeah. What is the video that I saw online, maybe about a year ago, where a Mai Tai was made with the J Ray Seventeen, and it was at an event. It was made with with the, all the correct ingredients, and and after it was made, you could see it was. Being passed around, I saw people in this video that you could tell they wanted to taste it. Do you know which video I'm talking about? Well, that might have been me at the UK Rum Fest, but it turns out that that bottle was bogus. Oh, was it? Yeah. The video, oh, like, in fact, the guy is oh, wanted. Wow. The guy okay. who was peddling it was wanted by Interpol now. Wow, <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. cool. If you fake my ingredient, you have to go on the Interpol list. Yeah, and he's a German dude. He called himself Baron von Furstenberg or something like that. I have his card. I still have his card. But oh, he was he was peddling classic. fake 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 Cuban cigars and fake vintage rum. You know, he was just wow. like put the label up and now. Oh. Wow. So Those if you go back on that, Germans. how many? So that, that video has been pulled. You can't see that video oh, anymore. Oh, okay. Wow. So, I've, so I've seen, was, it was like a year ago, I think, maybe? That was a couple of years, yeah. A couple yeah. years? So is everything else that the ingredients he used original? No, no there, was a, there was an old Trader Vic Orgeat bottle and an old Trader Vic Rock Candy Syrup. Okay, and, so uh, we get that. And, yeah, so it, it was, I just remember so what how many the drink was made. How many of the 17 like, still exist? Are they? I only know of three bottles that exist. Um, Ian Burrell of the UK Rum Fest yeah, has one. Um, and there's another one at the Merchant Hotel in Belfast, but it's pr- there's probably like you know maybe a, a finger left. Yeah, because they've been selling like thousand pound mai tais w- with that run. Holy wow! Molly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And then the other one I knew of was a guy named Angus Winchester got a hold of a bottle, but unlike the Merchant, who was selling thousand pound mai tais, he was just pouring shots out at Trailer Happiness when he got wow. his. It, his disappeared in a few how days. Come, how come our man in New Orleans doesn't have one? Steve Remsburg does not have one. He's got the world's largest vintage rum collection, public or private. He has the 15, oh, but he doesn't have man, the 17. 17. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I can, that's the thing It got me into Tiki was kind of that depth and that history. 
yeah. of the stuff out there. And every time you think you know everything about it, something pops up. I'm going to tell yeah. you, every time I sit with Jeff, I learn something new. Yeah, well, every time I've gone to one of your seminars or something comes on, I walk away with just you know a, a renewed interest oh, cool. and having fun with it. And it's just like, oh, there's something new. Yeah, you know, something it's, new. It's not getting every boring. Time. Every time. Uh, glad to hear that. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. It's, it's, you know, for me also just being on the Internet and seeing the different tiki collector sites and stuff every now and then something pops up that even i have not ever seen before in my 30 years and that's so great that it's Isn't still it? out yeah. there it's still Some yeah. new yeah. you know twist on the theme something incredible. well and it shows you how rich the history is yeah right that it's it's a lot deeper than we initially thought where we think we've seen everything but we really haven't i know it's, yeah uh, something new will just pop up Especially the internet, because you can kind of Google things and find yeah. them. Well, that's like my, my hunt for this husband killer recipe. Yeah. You know, I thought, well, I'm just going to go on the internet. I'll Google it. I'll find it in a few minutes. But you and know I'm what, like, man? Dang. This three three months, six months, two weeks from now, you might encounter something. Somebody might go on Tiki Central and say, hey, my dad ran the Islander and I got all these well, recipes. Right. It still and happens. I know. You know. It still happens. Yeah, yeah, you you can't happened, give up. That would yeah. happen with us in Palm Springs. We were looking for a punch for our Wednesday nights. We do a tiki where we all sing and everything, which is really fun. We started looking. For, I was looking for a punch, and I was a kid in Minneapolis, and there was a place called the Nanking, a Chinese restaurant there that was there for years. Closed about 20 years ago. But they did a drink called the Wanderer's Punch, and they would serve it in a brandy snifter about the size of a goldfish bowl. And you were limited to one of these things. And I remember him as a kid. I never drank one. But whenever my dad and my uncle went together to the Nankin, I remember my mom was pissed because she had to drive home, usually in a snowstorm, because <laughs> right. my uncle and my dad had drank these Wanderer's Punch. It was called a Wanderer's Punch because you would wander aimlessly through downtown Minneapolis after having one of these. So I got this itch to try and do something. I, I love doing the retro stuff instead of creating the new stuff. And we started looking for it. I found a son of a bartender that had the recipe, and he had the five. He, they made it in five-gallon batches. He had the five-gallon recipe. The only thing that was missing was the amount of grenadine he put in there. And we made it, and uh, uh, just fortuitously, right at about the time I came up with this drink, there was a direct flight from Palm Springs to Minneapolis that started. And we started getting people from Minneapolis. And they came in, and I'd mentioned Wanderer's Punch, and like, oh yeah, they I knew what it was. was. I knew this drink, and so they actually a bunch of couples taste tested it with us and got us into the sweetness and sour to where they're like, you How nailed cool. it. Cool, locals. Yeah, so it was it was so much fun to see people like interacting in the bar, kind of art directing our drinks. That's like that classic story of Harry Owen sitting at the bar of the Royal Hawaiian trying to recreate this drink he had called the Mai Tai and James Mishner walks in and goes no you do this you do that and somebody else walks in you had, you had that we happen had to this. you we had in this, real yeah. life that's great we had all these people they were they were thawing out from Minneapolis and yeah. they you know, wanderers oh we remember that stuff yeah we remember wandering all over Minneapolis after one of those yeah, and so yeah. it was fun nice yeah. it's awesome so I, I love the history stuff and the drinks and stuff that's why you know it, that's tiki to me is, is having fun with the past and bringing it to people in, in the present yeah you summed it up pretty well right there. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Tiki the way it once was. There you go. Good? Tiki the way it once couldn't, was. Couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what we're celebrating. Well, we're going to take a quick break because I need another cocktail. 
Cheers. Uh, yeah, you're, you're down low there. Yeah, Spence, did you, try, did you guys some try some of Marie's eggnog? No. No, not oh. yet. Do we have Sid's got the outside bar. She's got the eggnog going. Okay. That's the only reason I come in for the holidays is that eggnog. <laughs> oh, man, okay. that that's good. <laughs> the only thing that's going to get you out of that. I don't know if it's really a tiki drink, but what the heck. It's a, it's I'll a good try one. some of that. That's so I'm going to go get some. We'll go get shots of that. So let's go get some shots of eggnog. We'll be back, folks. We'll be back. Cheers. If you have a product, service, or event that you'd like to bring attention to, we can help. Imagine hearing your ad in this spot, just like you're hearing this one right now. Sponsor an episode and get the exposure you deserve. For more information, go to DesertOasisRoom.com and click on Services. This episode is sponsored by the Tiki Bar T-Shirt Club, where their monthly T-shirt designs pay tribute to a Polynesian bar or restaurant from days long past. Each design is available for a limited time and will never be produced again. For the collectors out there, be sure to check out their subscription program, where they offer a discounted 3, 6, or 12-month plan, or you can always buy shirts one at a time. For more information and to check out this month's shirt, visit TikiBarTshirtClub.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Tiki Tea, a family-owned and operated tropical drink bar in Los Angeles, California. Come get their house specialty, the Ray's Mistake, for only $6 on Wednesdays until 9 p.m. For more information, check out their website, tiki-ti.com. This episode was also brought to you by Steadfast Pomade, a strong-holding, medium-bodied styling product for men and women, which leaves your hair looking neat and shiny with a clean, fresh scent. Order yours today at steadfastpomade.com. Alrighty, folks, we are back, and we are sitting with our good friend, Philip Marte. Should, should I call you Phil or Philip? Either one. Just okay. don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I want to send a big shout-out to our friends at Sapporo Beer. Philip is a regional director, is that correct? Uh, director of National Accounts. Director of National Accounts, and Philip is instrumental in... Helping us obtain Sapporo Beer as our latest sponsor of Inside the Desert Oasis Room. So thank you so much, Philip. Happy to do it, Adrian. I know you and I go back a few years, and finally the synergies came together. I, I, I am excited about adding Sapporo Beer as a sponsor because I love the product. <laughs> so here's the thing, you know, it's easy to endorse a product that you love. you got to believe right? in it. And Sapporo Beer is one of these beers that's just... The first time I had a Sapporo beer, now, you're going to find this a little bit of a cliche. The first time I had Sapporo beer, of course, was in a sushi bar. Of course. That's, and, uh, we hear that a lot. And it was actually just down the street here. You know, um, kind of the task of everybody at Sapporo USA is to get the brand beyond sushi bars. I get that. Yeah, because those are the gimmies. That's the, that's the low-hanging that. fruit. But, you know, like this, this particular bar that I went to, the sushi bar, it was very celebrated there. Every time that they served Sapporo at a table, they'd yell out Sapporo! And the whole restaurant would yell out, Sapporo! Do you know which bar I'm talking about? You know, I think it's it's near here, right? Yeah, it's on Lancashire. I don't I th- know if I should I think get, should I I give them a free endorsement. Their name is Tokyo Delves. I, I don't know the name of it, so I can't, can't promote them, but uh, God bless them for having Sapporo beer. Great place. Really fun, fun, fun sushi bar. You know what's interesting about the beer, Adrian? I'll tell you. Okay. Um, the brewmaster, Sebe Nakagawa, was a teenager when he left Japan. Okay. And he sailed to Germany to learn the brewing craft. Oh, you're kidding me. No kidding. Okay. And so he learned his craft in Germany, sailed back to Japan, broke ground on the brewery. And 
the name Sapporo Beer comes from? The area where they are in Japan. Sapporo, Sapporo Japan. Japan. Yeah, that was where yeah. the first brewery was. Yeah. Now yeah. we've got breweries all over the globe. So he went to Germany. What year was this? Because I know that Sapporo beer is the oldest beer in Japan. It's the, it's the oldest Japanese beer. So it started in 1876. 1876. Yeah. And so that was a bold thing for someone in Japan to do. Absolutely. And our last three years of uh, campaigns have been built around this exploring aesthetic. Yeah. You know, going places you've never gone before and, and, and tracking your journeys and finding the, the new things. So yeah. yeah. we kind of embraced his, his spirit. Plus, it's just a rad story. I mean, who does that, right? Uh, that's the thing. Is that especially 1876? Who does that today, right? Yeah. Today, that's still one of these out of the box things. Where when you want to learn how to brew beer, I'm going to go do this in Germany, because everybody is they're they're brewing out of their garages. There's a lot of home breweries now, and and there's the whole craft brewery thing happening. But to say like you know I'm going to go back to the source, and exactly. that's that's a, it's always going to be a bold yeah. bold move to yeah. do that and to do so, this in 1876 but, that's that's but then huge. When you think of the roots, uh, German lagers. Then you can kind of find parallels. When you're drinking Sapporo Premium Lager, it's not that different from a Stella, okay. or, which is Belgian, or Carlsberg, which is Danish, okay. uh, Beck, St. Pauli. They're all peas in a pod. Okay. Yeah, European lagers. So when he came back to Japan, was his intent to create this brand that it is today? Well, I think that his heart was in making beer. So he you know, was really I, I more. I think just, he had any idea. He was that, just a passionate. Exactly. Okay. So now the company has grown to real estate holdings, uh, juices. They do alcohol distribution. They have, you know, the uh, iced coffee polka. Yes. That's part of Sapporo. Okay. Yeah. So some of that stuff exists in Japan. It's under their umbrella there. But here in the U.S., they own two breweries and now three. Just last summer, last August, they bought Anchor Brewing of San Francisco, California, okay. the brewers of Anchor Steam Beer. Okay. Now, the beer that we are drinking today is Sapporo Black. Sapporo Black. So it's the first new entry from Sapporo in over a couple of decades. I was going to say that because now I'm a big fan of the Sapporo Premium, mm -hmm. and I love Sapporo Premium. It's a great, great tasting beer, finishes dry, very smooth. And Sapporo Black was something that I was unfamiliar with until today, and I'm so glad that I tried this. Because, you know, I'm not really a, a dark beer kind of person, but this is really great. This is really good. What makes it drinkable is it's a, it's a black lager. So it follows the same Sapporo Premium recipe, except they roast the ingredients. That's where it gets the color from. And that's the thing is that it still finishes dry, still very smooth. Very clean finish. Very clean yeah. on the mouth. So very not good. a lot very of residual good. sugars that, that linger on the palate. It just, you drink it, it's gone, you're ready for another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's brewed in what they call a Schwartz beer, another German beer style. Okay. So people look at it and go, oh, dark beer, is that is that like Guinness? Well, Guinness is a stout beer. Okay. And there's a lot of differences in the processes and the ingredients. Um, when people are talking about uh, ales and lagers, they use two different types of yeast when uh, in the brewing process. So ales use a top-fermenting yeast. The lagers use a bottom-fermenting yeast. And a lot of that has to do with the, the flavor. It's like the seasoning on the beer. Um, not very hoppy, a little more malty than usual. Um, and the rest of our... Sapporo portfolio is rounded out by uh, Sapporo Light, which is a low-calorie rendition of Sapporo Lager, 
and then Sapporo Reserve, you've probably seen the gold can. Yeah. That's an all-malt beer, which means they didn't add any adjunct grain, corn or rice, which actually, in the big picture, act as natural preservatives. Okay. So they, they give the beer a longer shelf life. Have you done any of your own home brewing? I have not. Okay. Um, years ago, the distributor I worked for was a Sam Adams distributor, and one year they gave out kits and said, brew your beer, and if you like it, send us back a sample, and we'll see if we like it, and then they'll make it. I ended up giving it to a family friend who was a home brewer and okay. never got into it. Okay. I think about it, but I think I'd be more interested personally in distilling my own spirits. Yeah, yeah, because you just sound so knowledgeable about... I'm a, a certified Cicerone beer server. Okay. I went through the course. Um, it's uh, It was a year ago, November, that I that I got certified. Um, and I've just been in the beer business for 30 years. Started with Pepsi back in the 80s, and then uh, got in the distribution side of things, now on the supplier side of things. So yeah, yeah. It's been good to me. Yeah. So let's talk about the spirits side now that you say that you, you find that you might have more of an interest distilling spirits. Yeah, I think it's just more of a, when it comes to seasoning or flavor profiles, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the beers that have like chipotle chili or licorice okay. or jelly bean. It's just that doesn't do anything for me. But if you're talking about grains and length of time, maybe roasting something or putting in the the raw flour. Yeah. That's what and flour meaning the plant matter, not not flour the the baking stuff. Okay. Um, that's that's that grabs my attention. And yeah. I think that there's more to uh, a pure distilled spirit than some of these beers that have, you know, like uh, red licorice flavor. You know, I mean, it's goofy. Some of these guys, they just... Well, you know, we are in a different time today because, as I mentioned before, you have people that are home brewing, and once you're making this stuff at home, it's easy to say, hey, what if we flavored it like this, or what if we threw this in it? What are your thoughts about, and I, I, I guess I kind of have an idea already, what are your thoughts about that with the home brewing thing? And the whole craft beer movement. I think lately you've seen a business model that is, let's make something that's very different and a big brewer will buy us. History has okay. shown, history has shown like um, a couple of pioneers from decades ago, Red Hook out of uh, Seattle, Washington, and Widmer Brothers out of Portland, Oregon. One was brewing, their, their flagship at, uh, at Red Hook was uh, Extra Special Bitter. ESB, they called it. And it was a, a unique beer, lots of flavor, more color than a pale lager. And uh, Widmer were one of the pioneers in the Hefeweizen, the, the wheat beers. Along about the same time as Pyramid. Those were the two go-to wheat right, beers, right, Pyramid right. And, and Widmer Brothers. Right. So as time went on, Anheuser-Busch saw that they were making a splash in the beer world, so they went into a distribution agreement. Right. So it's like, and since then, like, Blue Moon is a, a Miller Coors product, um... Golden Road from L.A. got bought by Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Uh, Ballast Point got bought by Constellation Brands, so the same group that owns uh, Corona, Modelo, Pacifico, Victoria. So I think, you know, circling back to your original question, these homebrewers have, like, uh, a mindset where maybe it's not a long-term goal for them. It's, yeah. It's kind of like an IPO Exactly. Thing, right? Exactly. And I've got a funny story about IPOs when... Sam Adams was about to go public. My father-in-law and I were talk were looking at it. I was selling the through our distributor at the time, 
and we thought this could be a good investment, but IPOs as such are limited. Yes. They put so many shares out there, and then they, right. well, we both got rejection letters saying oh, that, yeah, sorry yeah, for, yeah. you know, we, we appreciate your interest in the brand, but uh, no stocks for you. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see, you know, how much things have changed. I mean, you look at this particular brand, you said 1876. Oh, yeah, yeah, Japan's oldest brand. And I think part of their, it's not a secret, but they're consistent. They're not... Uh, they're not changing things up. They've got four now brands of beer, premium, light, reserve, and black, and that's it. For and that's all they need. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you make a good quality beer, and you don't need to throw all of these gimmicks in there, right, right. to sell the well, beer. And, and to, to broaden the variety, they've bought other breweries that make different brands. Sure. So that completes the portfolio. Sure. Uh, in addition to that Anchor Brewery that we just bought last August, they own two breweries in Canada, Sleeman and Unibrew. Now, Sleeman is a, is a family operation founded by a gentleman named John Sleeman, whose family is still involved in the, the day-to-day process. And up north, uh, above the border, they're contracted to brew Old Milwaukee and Pabst Blue Ribbon okay, and Sapporo. So they brew for the Canadian market, the Sapporo up there. Um, and then in Quebec, Canada, we own a brewery called Unibrew, which is uh, a brewery that makes bottle refermented Belgian style ales, which mean that right before they cap the bottle or, or bung the keg, they put active yeast in it. So the beer is actually fermenting as it sits on the shelf. Okay. So, contrary to how I learned it, at, I worked for AB for 18 years at a distributor, you know, 110 day shelf life. There's actually people that will buy these beers and, and lay them down. Is what the the wine the wine snobs call it. Okay. And then sample the beer against this year's version against next year's version. Ah. They actually get they change characteristics in a good way with age. Now you've been in this industry for so long. Is your palate like super refined now that you can taste different things about different, not only different styles of beers but different ways that they're brewed? Yes and no. I, 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 can, I can pick out ingredients and brewing styles, and, and part of that uh, is some of the criteria for the Cicerone training. But um, as far as brewing process, that, that's variable. I think that uh, there's, there's some minutia like to brew beer in an uh, economic way, some brewers will use hop pellets, which, are, which means they take the, the natural hop flour and then process it down to something that they can bag and scoop where brewers like Anheuser-Busch pride themselves on using the natural hop flour, okay. not using you know processed ingredients. So it's, it's a little more hit and miss, but it's also more pure. Okay. But then when it comes to tasting the product on the back end, you can't really taste the difference. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Knowing that, this might change the answer that I'm expecting, but when you have beer somewhere, does it totally wreck you now i mean are you able to still enjoy something for what it is or do you oh totally. do you have a very in fact particular in, palate in this day and age of hoppy ipas and you know my wife and i were in uh portugal uh-huh. and the craft beer is blowing up over there as as much as it is here as it is here okay. and so on the shelf it says hey try the new california ipa in portugal 
Okay. So it's like a genre now. How weird is it seeing that? It, it's very weird. But so what I come back to is that, you know, I'll take, I'll sample the IPAs. I'll, I'll, you know, they're not sessionable like lager beers are. Yeah. It's pretty much like one and done. Okay. Just because they're so big. Okay. You know, so much hops. So what I find myself doing is dabbling in those for a minute and then circling back to the, the Sapporos of the world. Okay. The okay. European lagers, because they're so easy to drink. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's... Um, and you can find uh, some people poo-poo the idea, but I think if you think about it while you're drinking it, you can actually find uh, the idiosyncrasies within those pale European lagers that make one better than the other. Okay. Well, one being better than the other is really just a matter of opinion. It's a personal right? opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just personal taste. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, so here today we were pouring samples of Sapporo Black, and there were people that came up and said, "Oh, I don't drink beer, but can I smell it or can I look at it?" And then there were people that like, oh, I, I drink this and that and the other thing, and I need to try that. So the the beer drinker is a, is a diverse animal these days. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're educated. Yeah. And that just makes the beer business better, you know. It keeps us challenged. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about Sapporo, though, is that, you know, you there's a, a product here that it has a certain standard. It has a certain um, familiarity. That I don't think that you you necessarily have to mess with anything that you know the whole if it ain't broke don't fix it exactly thing. I was just gonna say that right yeah I mean this has always been a great beer and they know? pass down the recipe and uh, the consistency that's that's the key I mean that's who else has been around since 1876 I mean seriously yeah yeah seriously now um, Anchor Steam if I could talk about that for a, a sure, minute more yeah yeah they started brewing in 1896 and through the research and historical records they are now touting themselves as America's first craft beer okay so a lot of people you know in the I guess millennials and and just before them saw Sam Adams, uh, Red Hook, Sierra Nevada as the first craft beers. But if you look back, Anchor Steam was truly a craft beer. Okay. It, it, to this okay. day, it is. And uh, what makes it unique is uh, in the brewing. Pro- it's one brewery in the whole world, San Francisco, California, and the cooling tanks are open. So I've I've been through the brewery two or three times now, and you would think that. You'd be walking around in a hazmat suit with gloves right, and booties right. and hairnets, but it's not that way. There's a screen door. You walk in. You can you can view it. You can't actually sample it, but that's the where the beer's cooled. Yeah. And in the old days, they brought it up to the roof of the building, and on a, a cold night, hot liquid up there made steam, and that's how the beer got its name. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's so pretty cool. Very little has changed up there. Uh, my last visit up there, they were brewing. They come up with uh, Anchor Christmas Ale every year, and it's a, a different recipe every year. Okay. And so part of this tour, we came up to the the brewing tank in the brewery, and it had a little pigtail spigot on it. We had plastic cups, and we sampled it before and after finishing in the brewery. And I thought, this is uh, it's what endears me to my career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, an opportunity that not many get, and I'm, I'm humbled to, to be able well, to do that. I will say, and I'm speaking from my particular place or my perspective that you seem to be somebody that's living the dream. Uh, yes, I'm a lucky son of because a Because you are in a spot that I would that I would guess a lot of people envy. It's um I have got a 28-year-old son and and some of his uh comrades from high school were like <laughs> what do you want to do? Well, I want to do what your dad does when I grow right. up. <laughs> 
it's you know it was uh, it's a lot of blood sweat and tears you know yeah 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 I yeah told you 30 years and um few years in the soft drinks before that and when you're thinking about like a big corporation like pepsi sure, that was yeah. my first gig and the fact that they were running the california market from an office in new york you start to develop a little understanding about the corporate mentality and yeah. you know there were liberties on the on the pepsi side of things that you don't have with beer where if there was a problem they'd say go out to the warehouse and get a stack of uh, pepsi and take it to the, the disgruntled customer and call it good yeah. in beer in beer you can't do that you can't yeah. legally give them something to put out a fire you have to you have to be a salesman. Well, it's different, too, because we have this tiered system exactly. for alcohol, right? Because I had an ex-brother-in-law, because this is from my ex-wife's side, who was a guy at Pepsi. And actually, I knew another guy, too, that I used to work with that at one time he was at Pepsi. And um, they did fix a lot of things that way. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's say that, you I know. Speak first and, they, and they all had product at home. They all had stacks of of Pepsi products from Aquafina to yeah. uh, I think Mountain Dew is one of their products yep, and, sure is. and yeah there's a bunch of stuff that was always you know when we would have these holiday parties and people would potluck this thing out and I'll bring a pie and I'll bring a fried chicken and they the Pepsi guy always brought the drinks right? <laughs> it's an easy thing shamefully easy I'm bringing yeah, the beer yeah <laughs> but it was it was kind of a cool thing you know as I'd be at the house and I'd say hey can I take some uh can I take some Aquafina? And he'd be like, yeah, take a case. <laughs> it was all stacked up. you know. When I was at the, the bottling group right there on uh, where the 405 and the 110 meet, right by the Goodyear yeah. lamp, yeah. we had uh, uniform jackets. And uh, leaving the plant in the morning, I would button the cuffs of the jacket so they were closed. And we had a vending machine set on free vent in the break room. And oh, I'd, man. I'd, I'd pop out three Pepsis and three oh. Mountain Dews and just <laughs> shove them in the sleeves of my jacket. They'd be insulated so they'd stay right, cold. Right. Throughout the day, that was my... Uh, my energy drink. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> it's a wonder I lived through that. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, I am I'm excited that I have this brand associated with the podcast. Sapporo, again, is something that I can be passionate about because I love the product. So it makes it easier for me to endorse. Yeah, well, right? and too, with your, uh, your influence on the tiki world, you know, my, my, my role with the company is, like I said before, national accounts, which means chain stores and chain restaurants. The tiki involvement is just a passion of mine on the yeah. side. So yeah. I'm fortunate enough to dig out budget and time to support these events, and it's it's like supporting my passion. Yeah. So to be affiliated with you, it's, uh, it's a good fit. It's a good fit. And then, too, if you think about the, the tiki events that we've been involved in over the years, um, Huki Lao, Tiki Caliente, Tiki Oasis, uh, Ohana Luau at the lake in upstate New York. People really don't, I mean, if you ask them, they, they would tell you, I'm not going to drink rum drinks all day. Mix in a beer. Sure. sure Put a beer yeah. between a couple of those and, and then start fresh. It's like a, a palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say this. I think that 2019 is going to be an exciting year for both of our brands. I look forward to doing more stuff here with Sapporo Beer. I would venture to think that, well, so I'm not going to be so bold as to make predictions that we're going to be winning room parties and stuff, but heck, why, why not we give a try or something? We've got our foot you know? in the door. Yeah, yeah, why not, right? So um, for everybody out there that is a, a follower of our podcast, please show Sapporo Beer your support. We fully endorse Sapporo 100%. And 
where can people, wh what is your favorite place for people to drink Sapporo? Where can they go out and, and get a Sapporo today? With the the gimmies are Benihana, Raw Sushi, P.F. Chang's, uh, but you can also find us at several yard houses. Okay. Um, Roy's Asian Fusion. Okay. You know Roy's? Yeah, yeah Roy's we is got, great. Got into them. They're, they're based out of Texas now and got in there a uh, year before last, and it's been steady Eddie since then, so knock yeah. on wood. Yeah. Um, right now, uh, I've got a guy working on Rock and Brews. Okay. So... So let me ask you this about Roy. So we're going to talk about Roy's real quick because sure. Sapporo has always been associated with sushi. Yes. So outside of sushi, now Sapporo beer I know goes great with Hawaiian food. Because it's at Roy's. Correct. Right? What do you like to have Sapporo beer with? What's your favorite pairing? You know, uh, Asian food, but not sushi per se. I like a nice little bowl of chicken karaage. Okay. With a cold Sapporo beer. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to figure out my favorite foods are Asian, too. And that's just because I'm from the Philippines, right? I, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I like Filipino food first, and then uh, everything else afterwards. So Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, they're all my favorites. Um, I'm going to put something together at home, and I'm going to see which one I like to pair with Sapporo beer. I had Filipino food last night. What you I have? Ha I had pork adobo, uh -huh. which I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think you have a little bit of Filipino blood On in my you, father's right, side, yeah. He goes back to Tarlac. Okay. So there you go. So pork adobo is basically, it's a pork that's simmered in a uh, pretty much a 50-50 mix of vinegar and soy sauce. And there's garlic in there, and there's bay leaves in there. And, um, and the reason why they used soy sauce and vinegar in a lot of the food was that it was, it was a preservative. It was from before refrigeration where they would salt their foods. Very interesting. That's how they kept their meats fresh, right? And so because fish and, and pork, and pork is king in the Philippines, all these things were soaked in these particular types of sauces to preserve them. It's those flavors that that, that particular palate has grown to love. Well, and I would imagine, too, at the, the climate in the Philippines, food would tend to spoil quicker. Yes, with the, tropical. The heat and, yeah, very know, tropical environment. The yeah. moisture. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going to figure out what my favorite pairing is, but I had some pork adobo last night, and I have a feeling it's going to go really great with Sapporo beer. I'm confident of that. So, uh, What I, did I, you drink with it? Water. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was no Sapporo beer where I went. So, okay, well, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. fix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we got to fix that. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to be associated with Sapporo, and I appreciate the sponsorship with Inside the Desert Oasis Room. Thank you so much, Philip. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, for sure. And if you guys want to go out and get some Sapporo beer, write us, uh, you know, leave a comment on our group page and let us know what you like to have with Sapporo beer. The Sapporo beer Instagram page. At Sapporo, can you tell me the real, is it Sapporo, Sapporo Beer USA? Yes. Okay, at Sapporo Beer USA, I want to make sure that I got that right. And is there a Facebook page as well? Same same handle, yeah. Okay, Sapporo Beer USA. Correct. Okay, so give them a follow, guys. Let them know that Inside the Desert Oasis Room sent you. And uh, we're going to go back to our previously scheduled drinking with, of course, Sapporo, Sapporo Beer. Beer. Aloha. Aloha. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to leave a shout-out, stop by our Facebook group page, Inside the Desert Oasis Room, or follow us on Instagram at Polynesian Pop. To listen to previous episodes or be featured in a future episode, go to DesertOasisRoom.com.